0: Great to have you here this morning. As, as Paul mentioned, hopefully you've got your study guide. Follow along with that. Now, whether you're part of a growth group or not, um, good to be able to reflect later on on uh, the, the sermon. I think a lot of the time our growth occurs not just so much in passively listening to a sermon, but engaging with it. And particularly engaging with other people, I think makes it all the more powerful as well. So make sure you grab one of those whether you're in a growth group or not and and follow uh, along. I'm going to pray and then um, we'll, we'll make a start. So Heavenly Father we pray that as we engage with your word today and we just pray for your spirit to speak by your word into our hearts that we wouldn't just receive information but through your living word You will transform us into the people you've called us to be. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I'm going to invite Andrea to come up and read today's passage in our sermon series in John, John chapter 4. Thank you, Andrea.
1: The reading today is John chapter 4, verses 1 to 26. Jesus talks with a Samaritan woman. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptising more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptised, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sikar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he.
0: Thank you, Andrea. It's a great passage, isn't it? John chapter 4. I've been, I've been dwelling on it um, all week, and for some of you, you may be aware, it's, it has been a big week, as, as Paul has mentioned. We had our um, memorial service for 12 months since the flood on, on Tuesday. I was invited to speak at that, um, Monday, uh, Tuesday morning, um, Hans. Good to see you a- a- again. And um, had the privilege of um, leading the, uh, the the funeral for Hans's mum Tuesday morning. And just yesterday, did a um, a wedding ceremony for Lorinda Gray, who married Patrick George. You know the the Gray family from here. So um, it's been a it's been a big week. And then we've got a baptism and dedication next Sunday. And I think it's why. Um, some people call the role of the pastors hatch, match and dispatch. And it, it all came together in this, uh, this week. And so um, it's been... And, and to come to a passage like this, which I'll, I'll tell you is, is one of my favourites. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you in a little while why it is. But we've just had a glimpse of what it is in John's Gospel as we're looking at this sermon series, A Light in the Darkness, we 're working our way through the Gospel of John, and we come to this fascinating passage that is only found in the Gospel of John. You know we live in a in a culture that is always focused on the the best thing the next best thing the the next technology, the new comfort the the new trinket this, this new device that will come out that will surely solve all of our problems, won't it? There'll be a device, will come out. But we know, but we know when the new best thing comes out, how long does it last? A week, a few months at best. Meanwhile, we continue to thirst. We continue to thirst. And this passage taps into that, and this is why... It's one of my favourites simply because within this passage, this story of Jesus interacting with this Samaritan woman has so many angles, so many levels and so many points within it. And one of my biggest frustrations is I'd like to pull out all of the angles, all of the points, but we haven't got time for that. So I'm just going to work on a particular point today. This story speaks to our frustration, our restlessness and our search for satisfaction. So let's start with with a background here. Um, As we can read in uh, verses 5 and 6, thank you, Andrea, for reading this passage. Let's just focus on verses 5 and 6. We read that Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Now, it's important that it was about noon, and it was important that he was in Samaria. We hear about Samaria and Samaritans. So what is it about the Samaritans? We hear about the good Samaritan. We hear about the Samaritan woman. A very, very brief background is we've got these Jewish people and they were very protective to maintain their pure culture and lineage. The problem was there was a, a, a group called the Samarians, uh, who, Samaritans who, who split away and they were part Jew and part Gentile. So it was a bit of a mixed race. And so they weren't seen as being pure Jew. And so this distrust and a dislike occurred between the Jews and the Samaritans. Now, as I was thinking about this during the week, I thought, I don't think we have any idea generally within our society, within our country, of a pure dislike and a hatred of another people group. I think we're still influenced in part by our, our, our Christian background where we treat everybody the same. Now, we're, we're certainly going to be at odds with people. We're certainly There's going to be people who we, we would rather not associate with. But in certain cultures, and we hear about these things overseas and everywhere, there's an absolute dislike, disregard, and hatred for another people. And so this is why... Uh, whether it's the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan, or this story, it becomes so powerful. That here is Jesus and his disciples in Samaria. This is a place where Jews would rather not go. Jesus, in this journey, sends the disciples on for food. Now, we know that that's just not a coincidence that he happens to send them on for food, and Jesus here is alone and meets a woman at the well. Now think about this as well: the Samaritans were absolutely despised, and in Jesus' day, socially speaking, the women were right at the bottom of the influential order so you 've got Samaritan, and it so happens to be a woman so can you think of of how uh, obscene and how uh, just remarkable it would be that Jesus, this Jew, a rabbi, would be seen alone with not only a Samaritan but a Samaritan woman. It's scandalous. It would be unheard of. The woman at the bottom of the social order, it's it's like double trouble. Now, why was she at the well at noon? It's in the heat of the day. You wouldn't normally go out of town to the well in the middle of the day. This woman had much shame as we find out. But this fascinating conversation occurs and Jesus starts by asking for a drink. And of course, the woman is startled. The fact that he would even talk to her, let alone ask her for a drink. And we re- pick this up in, in verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Living water. Jesus, we start the conversation with physical water, very quickly develops into something very different. And Jesus, in fact, is revealing much of himself here. And the conversation is opening up very, very quickly. But then not only is he opening up the conversation, Jesus is looking into her life. That could get a bit uncomfortable, couldn't it? Someone... Looking right, I'm not trying to look at anybody in particular, it looks awkward. Looking right into their life. You've got, you've got nowhere to hide. That's confronting, isn't it? But he, here's what happens here, verse 16. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You were right when you ha- say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man you are now with is not your husband. What you just said is quite true, sir, the woman said. I can see that you are a prophet. Where do you go from here? You're confronted by someone who knows every single bit about you. She's beginning to see the truth of Jesus. Jesus revealed as the Messiah. It seems like she's um, trying to divert the subject here. We get to verse 24 and we read, Jesus, uh, God is spirit. And his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This, along with a number of other passages in in the gospels, make it quite clear that we're not just talking about a really good teacher or a a, a powerful prophet or someone who's just a, a really special person. And, and we, we hear from time to time when people refer to Jesus purely as a as a good teacher, he is making it quite explicit right here in this story that he is the one, the the promised Messiah, the one promised in the old testament who has come to fulfill all of those prophecies the one who is god jesus here places that exclamation point on the story jesus is the final anointed king he has come to bring life so what i want to do with this story with this in mind and just reflecting on what has just happened in these 26 verses i think there's at least four things that we can learn from this story and i'm only going to keep it into four things because there's probably 20 things that we could learn and i i think we just need to, to hold it to these there's plenty more that we could talk about with this story the first point is this jesus alone jesus alone is the living water that fills our void It is quite apparent in this story that the Samaritan woman was looking for men to satisfy her. How was that working out for her? Looking for meaning and identity in in purpose in relationships with men. What about us? Do we look for things outside of Christ? to give our hearts meaning. Do we? Do we look for things to help us satisfy that that deep thirst within us for comfort, meaning and purpose? For some it may be relationships. I'm looking for that ideal person and when I find that ideal person, Everything will come together and we will live happily ever after. Yep, okay. Um, I'm not dissing the fact that it's so important to find that wonderful person and that person could be a wonderful companion and live and, and, and give us, give us that, 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 that sense of companionship through our life but it doesn't totally give our life meaning and purpose. And one of the greatest dangers I see with, with young married couples is that becomes their whole world and their whole identity is bound up in that other person. And, and that is a pressure that no spouse should ever be put under. Should they? To solve every problem of every sense of wonder and, 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 and hope. But we do, we, we, we thirst after relationships, whether it's you know romantic relationships or, or, or whether it's just general friendships. We place too often too much expectation. Are friendships important? Absolutely. Don't take away from here and say, John said that friendships aren't important. Friendships are important, but don't put the pressure on those friendships to solve all of your identity, meaning and purpose, hopes. Other people may look for their careers. When I finally get the dream job, I finally have that job where all of my, my learning, all of my hopes, all of my ambitions come together and I've just got this career that's just going to make me so happy. No. A job becomes a job after a while. And, and once again, I'm not dissing jobs. Careers, they're, they're wonderful. Great opportunity to serve, to serve one another, to find you know, some significance and everything like that. But not our whole significance can be found within our careers or our workplace. And once again, we find people who are just continuing to thirst, continuing to thirst after that perfect job. Once I get that perfect job, all of my problems will disappear. How's that working out? For some people, it could be possessions. Once I find my dream home, I'm going to buy this home. And this home is going to be the perfect home, the place where I can raise my family, and the place where yeah, there will be peace and just comfort. And this home will be the perfect home. But that home still needs maintenance. It still needs mortgage payments and things wear out. And after a while, it doesn't fit our needs. And we get to the point of going, I'll have to look for another wonderful home that will just give me meaning and purpose and we thirst after possessions whether it's our car or the, the latest iphone or the the whatever we continue to thirst or it could be status i'm looking for a status within my society keep climbing the corporate ladder keep seeking to have influence because that will give me meaning and purpose can you see where i'm going with all of this all of these things we grab on because we're so thirsty, we're looking for something to quench that thirst that we have, but it doesn't. None of these are necessarily bad, but if we are seeking our meaning, identity and purpose through, then we will continue to thirst. A major problem for all of humanity. And we see that happening. It happens for us, but it well and truly happens well and tr- out, out there in our, our community. Yet Jesus we hear in this passage is the living water we need. When we trust in him, the well will never run dry. He will never dissatisfy. He will never turn us away. In John chapter 10, verse 10, we read this. Jesus himself said, The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, and I have come that they may have life and have life to the full. Going back to our story again, in verse 13, Jesus talks to this woman and answers her, saying, Everyone who drinks this water, we're talking about the physical water in the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus alone is the living water that fills our void. The the second point I want to bring is this. Jesus is not phased by our sin. Now, I wrote that during the week and I thought, "Ooh, are people going to misunderstand what I'm trying to say here? Does that mean um, Jesus is not bothered by our sin or, or Jesus just overlooks our sin? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying more like is he's unsurprised by our sin. We see this in the story, don't we? Jesus doesn't point the finger at the woman who had spent years and years and years looking to quench her thirst in the wrong places. The woman perceives Jesus as a prophet who gently calls out her sin. And later on in the chapter in verse 29, and I'm going to dwell on this a little bit later, the woman goes back to the town, back to her town, and this is what she says. She says, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did could this be the Messiah? Can you, can you see in those words that this woman wasn't burdened by the fact that she was called out as a sinner? It actually brought her freedom, didn't it? Can you see that there's a freedom once she says, this is who I am, I've got nowhere further to hide, and he didn't condemn me. He didn't condemn me. I think it's powerful. It's powerful. And here's the deal. Jesus, as a sovereign God, sees all your sin. Sees all your sin. Is that discomforting? Do you know we we can't hide from him? We can't hide our sin from him. And, and why, why do we? Why, why do we try to hide? And I think there's two, two reasons why, why we, we hide our sin. The first one is pride. Because we want to give the impression that we've got it all together. So no problem here. Everything's okay. I've got everything sorted out. It's, it's pride when we think that we've got the capacity beyond what is normal. And the, the other one is, is fear. We're fearful if people or, or God sees the real us. We wouldn't be loved. What we see here in this passage, that although Jesus knows everything about us, even though Jesus sees the deepest, darkest, and ugliest parts of us, he still pursues us. He still chases after us. He still loves us. Can you see in that story the love that Jesus had for this woman despite all of her ugly secrets? There's no doubt that this meeting between Jesus and the woman wasn't just a coincidence. It just so happened that Jesus just wanted time out by himself. This was a divine appointment. Jesus was pursuing this woman. Jesus pursues us. He sees us he looks right into us but he's not angry he's not offended he loves us as a matter of fact the apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 5 verses 6 and 8 he says you see just at the right time when we were still powerless Christ died for the ungodly very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. why we were still sinners, that's, that's you and me. Christ died for us. Not because of a duty, but just perfect love. He sees our sin. He doesn't turn away from us. As a matter of fact, let me say that if anybody's turning away from anybody, you know what the deal is? It's generally us who turn away from him. You know what I'm saying? It's it's we that turn our back, not him. And out of love, he died for us. Jesus is not disgusted by us. Jesus is not angry at us. Jesus loves us in spite of our sin. And we see this so clearly in John chapter 4. That's my second point. Jesus alone is the living water that fills our void. Jesus is not phased by our sin. And my third point is this, Jesus is our saviour king. And he he declares this oh so clearly. Jesus is saviour, Jesus is king. As we read there at the end of that passage we read, verse 26, where the the woman is aware of the, the awaited Messiah who would come and bring everything into, into righteousness, Jesus answers by saying, I am he. He declares that. The promised one. And throughout... The Old Testament, we read about the, 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 the waiting for this Messiah who would come. In fact, something like Psalm 146, verse 8 in the Old Testament, as people were waiting for the Messiah to come, we read, The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous, pointing to the Messiah. And then we read in in the New Testament later on that John, who who wrote the Gospel of John, wrote some letters. And in 1 John, verse 1, verse 7, later on in the New Testament, we read how this this Saviour King does a new work in us. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Jesus, our, our Savior and our King. Firstly, Jesus alone is the living water that fills our void. Secondly, Jesus is not phased by our sin. Third, Jesus is our Savior King. And here's my fourth point our life should overflow the living water. Our, our life should overflow the living water. In verse 13 and 14, Jesus says, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What is this living water? It's, it's the very presence of our Lord Jesus Christ within us who gives us, I think, and I I, I tried to come away with sort of a a few word takeaway that sort of says the living water is, but I don't think we can limit it to just a a little quote. It's, It's the very presence of Jesus within us, who gives us peace, who gives us comfort, who gives us purpose, who gives our life identity, that we become a child of God. We don't have to strive for anything else because he who is in us completely satisfies where we won't be searching for the next best thing, searching for hope and identity in relationships or in our our jobs or or in our, our, our possessions or in our status. But when we submit to him and when we focus on him, I think something miraculous happens. The living water in us When we we live in trust and hope in Jesus, overflows from us. Overflows from us. It's it's a powerful image. Living water was never designed to just fill, but to overflow. I want to just focus again on the very end of, of the passage in verse 28 to 30, we, we didn't read it out as part of the reading, but just focus on what happens after Jesus spends time with this woman and the woman, I can only imagine, races back to the town. Now, think about this a woman who would have been despised, most people in the town would have known the floozy, the woman who had all of these men. You know, where is she going to be tomorrow night? You know, this, this sort of woman, okay? She goes back to the town. And we read in 28 to 30, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Now, I reckon here's one of the greatest miracles. What follows here? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. The town folk listened to this promiscuous bottom-of-the-rung woman who came back with a testimony about what Jesus had said to her. They're going out to see for themselves. Can you see this woman had tasted the living water and it was satisfying her thirst and it was beginning to overflow from her. Now here's the deal. This woman had the privilege of meeting Jesus face to face and being transformed physically within his presence. The vast, vast majority of people don't have that privilege, do they? For most of us, we hear about the living water, we hear about the good news of Jesus Christ through other people. And we'll hear it through other people because of the overflowing in that person's life does that make sense we're never designed to just hold the living water we're designed to share it now this is where i'm going to take a big risk here visual aids can be very helpful or it can fall very flat um we get thirsty. Who am I going to look for? Somebody who's not going to be too embarrassed if it goes really bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mari. Oh, Mari. Poor Mari and Janet. They're, they're empty. They're thirsty. Now, I probably need to explain this because this, this sermon's going to go up on the website and people are going to be listening to this and going, what is John doing? So I've given two empty glasses to Janet and Mari. And I've given it to Janet and Mary because they don't get easily embarrassed, do they? Here's, here's the living water, okay? I, I come and I meet Jesus. You know, this is like the, the Samaritan woman and she hears the good news of Jesus and this is living water filling her up with hope and identity and purpose. good that's good and it's just keep topping me up Lord Jesus but you know the thing about it is is I met Jesus Janet hasn't met Jesus well in this particular point you haven't met Jesus have you no so you might have to I think you might have to stand up next to me here this this could get interesting I haven't practiced this either so I don't know how it works but (laughs) (laughs) you know what's going to happen here well, this is my life. is meant to be like this, right? We, we should have got some towels out, shouldn't we? Yeah. Um, and my life is meant to be like that, isn't it? Oh yeah. Look at that. And look at that. Oh, it worked. And, and look at this. I'm not empty. Oh, that's how's that. I drag out of that glass that you just... <laughs> now, here we go again. Mari, how are you going to go here? Just <laughs> keep going. This is, we're going to go... Yeah, we've got enough, we've got enough water. How are you going there, Mari? You're nervous, aren't you? Yeah. Come on, come on out here. Okay. Down low. Glass down low. You're going to be over, the, over there because you're, you're telling Mari... That you've met Jesus and you've found this living water, and you're you're never going to be thirsty again, no. And so, no, I think I'll just do it this way. I think you met Jesus. Now you probably need to tip it a little bit like that. Oh, look at that! Here we go. Here we go. Oh, there we go. And look at that. And we're all filled. How about that? <laughs> you can drink of the living water there. Take a seat. Um, that actually worked better than I thought. <laughs> <clears throat> the living water of Jesus satisfies every deep thirst within us. And for two questions here, that there may be people here today who have never tasted the living water of Jesus. There are people here also who have tasted the living water and it's transformed their life. And we're called to live in that overflow position, spending time with Jesus, dwelling on his word, spending time in prayer and meditation on what, who, and who he is and what he has for us as we spend time with one another, times in worship and praise and prayer, filling living water within us. Never designed just to contain, but to, to overflow. And so, my, my prayer today is if there are those here, amongst us here today, who have searched to quench their thirst in certain things, and you know deep down, these things that you have a hope in, whether it's relationships, whether it's your career, whether it's possessions, whether it's stat- whatever it is, you, you know it's not going to satisfy. You need the living water that only Jesus can offer that will find purpose and hope in life. You catch up with someone here. You, you, you know these people here who have found the living water and we would love to share that living water with you. This story, this story that we read, and I've, I've mentioned this a couple of times as we work our way through the Gospel of John. It's not just a great story. It's not just something that will entertain us for a while. Right at the very, very, very end of the Gospel of John, John declares why he wrote down this story, and that is this. John chapter 20, verse 31. These things are written. So John chapter 4. Why was John chapter 4 written? Why did he... Write down the story of this Samaritan woman that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And we're not just, just talking about just a nice life. We're talking about a life of fulfillment, knowing that we live for the creator of the universe and that we can know greater joy than all of that.